Would you take your Bibles, your smart device, whatever it is you have, and turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 will begin there here in just a few moments. I was raised in a church where every once in a while on a Sunday night, we would have what we call testimony time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know why we always did it on a Sunday night. I suppose because that was when the least amount of people were there. Um, seems kind of strange to me now. Um, we only did communion on Sunday night, which seems to me a little bit strange now. But I really like testimony time because people would be able to share what God is doing in their lives, whether it was the past week, the past three months, whatever the case may be. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I say testimony time. I want to share something with you that has nothing to do with Jonah this morning, other than the fact that God was involved this past week. I shared it with my group that I was doing, we were doing Bible study this morning, but I think the entire church needs to know. This is testimony time. This is how good God is. My mother's brother uh, has been living for several years with just 10% of his heart functioning. And so you can imagine that that carries a tremendous amount of consequences. So he goes in the hospital in Decatur uh, just this past week, not feeling well, and they transfer him to the VA in Dallas. Um, and Thursday night, the doctors don't have very good news. He's going to pass pretty quickly. They take him off the ventilator, and so they call the family in. My mom and stepdad get there to the VA in Dallas and visit with my uncle. And he's not doing well, but he's well enough to know who they are and hear from them. And he's glad they're there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my mom and stepdad go to a place called the Fisher House, which is much like the Ronald McDonald House, if you know what that is. And so they go to bed. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, my mother said that she heard the intercom uh, a rapid response team to a certain room in the MICU unit. And um, she said, I believe that God woke me up. And because I knew that that was where... My brother was, is what she said. <clears throat> and so she goes down to the front desk there at the Fisher House and talks to the young gentleman there and says, I just heard of, uh, the intercom, this particular room, and, and the rapid response team was called, and, and the guy at the desk said, there's no intercom here. And she said, would you do me a favor and just call the hospital, call the call the floor, call the wing, call the nurse's station, find out uh, what's going on with this particular room because that's where my brother is. And he said, I don't have the number to the, to the nurse's station. I don't have the number to the hospital. Long story short, he ends up calling the, the, the security team. Security transfers him up to the, the, the floor, the nurse's station. Uh, my mom gets on the phone at the same time the doctor gets on the phone, and she sa he says, I don't have any idea how you would have known, but I just came out of your brother's room. He has passed. My mother said, there is no intercom in the Fisher house. Try to convince me that God doesn't exist, that God doesn't do certain things like that. 
think they're testimony times. These are the reasons that we gather on Sunday morning, not just to sing a few songs, not just to hear somebody get up and talk from the scriptures. That's all important. Not just to take communion, not just to take to pray with one another, but to be reminded of how good God is, that God is constantly working in our lives, right? No matter the pain we're in, no matter the struggles that we're in, God is still God. I think we need to do more of testimony time. Let's jump into Jonah chapter 2, actually one verse in chapter 1. For those of you who weren't here last week, we began a series through the book of Jonah. Most of you know the story of Jonah. Jonah, and now it's Alex mentioned last week, Jonah and the big whale, Jonah and the fish. It actually says a big fish. But I'm going to try to convince you, as I did last week, it's not about a fish. The fish is not the hero in the story. Jonah is not the hero in the story. Jonah's a prophet. Jonah's the mouthpiece of God, but he is not the hero in the story. In fact, he's the antagonist. He's the opposite of the hero, right? God tells him, tells him go east, go to Nineveh, go to the Assyrians, go to the Gentiles, go to the people that you don't want to go to. Go love your brother, church. We've been talking about loving God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love people and love by going. And Jonah says, no, you tell me go east, I'm going to go west. You tell me to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down. I'm going to go away from God. I'm going to be disobedient. I'm going to choose what I think is more important than what you think is more important, God. That sounds very, what will we say, rebellious, arrogant, prideful. I can't think of anything worse of thinking that you know more than what God knows or you know what's best, right? And yet that's exactly what Jonah does. And in a lot of ways, that's what we do, right? We are all Jonah. We are all called, the scripture says, we're all called to go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching, you guys know the Great Commission. Love God, how do we love God? We love God by loving people. We love people by going. That was the synopsis of what we talked about last week. Now I want to talk to you about a prayer. When somebody leads us in prayer on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, what do you do? Do you pray or do you just listen? I think prayer is interesting because oftentimes I think most people just kind of listen, right? Let us pray and then all of a sudden we're just listening. We're listening to whatever, whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we need to confirm what's being said. But prayer is an interesting thing because here we get the opportunity to look at a prayer. This is a prayer written for us in Scripture in Jonah chapter 2, and we get a chance to kind of dissect what Jonah is going through, right? Jonah finds himself, right, as we talked about last week, he's been hurled into the ocean, hurled into the water. He recognizes he's the problem. He recognizes his disobedience, his rebellion is the problem. And God provides this big fish, this whale, and does something about Jonah's rebellion. There's consequences for your sin. 
There's consequences for your choices. If you were here last week, I hope you took away the message of there's consequences for my sin. Right? And notice what happens. Chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. How many of you like fish? I like fish, right? But I'm smart enough to know if I'm at the fish market about to buy fish, the fish shouldn't smell at all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, fresh fish should not have a scent at all. If it has a scent, what does that mean? It's rotten. There's something decaying, right? There's something bad about it. Can you imagine three days in the belly of a fish? Not a place I want to be, not a place you want to be, right? This is a place that Jonah doesn't want to be, but he's there because his choices have consequences. And the choice to go west, when God says to go east, that's the reason he finds himself in the belly of a fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish, and he said, now pay attention to these words, as we've talked about in the past, words have meaning. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows, They passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deeps surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land. Remember we talked last week about the repetitive phrase that the narrator uses here in Jonah, he went down, he went down, he went down, and Jonah uses that same phrase here in his prayer, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord Yahweh Adonai, O Lord my God, my provider. When my life was fainting away, I remembered you, My prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Salvation Church. Look at me. Salvation belongs to And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited, it hurled, it puked. (coughs) You can catch the sermon later on, on the internet. (coughs) And the fish vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. We all know the story of Jonah. We know that Jonah finds himself three days in the belly of a fish. We probably heard that story when we were this this height 
pretty young, vacation Bible school perhaps, but we're all pretty familiar with the story of, of Jonah. Yet oftentimes we don't go any farther in Jonah than fish. I wonder why that is. There's a tremendous amount of lessons here in the book of Jonah, including here in this prayer. I mentioned to you last week that our consequences, the choices that we make, have consequences. And those consequences aren't always good. Right? Remember Christian sitting over here last week and I mentioning the fact that every time he gets out of Caitlin, by the way, our middle daughter is here, and she will attest to this as well. Every time when you're younger, you get out of my truck at school or wherever I drop you off, I say, make good choices. Make good choices. Why do I say make good choices? It's because I love them, but it's more than I love them. It's because I know I'm 48 years old. When I don't make good choices, I realize there are consequences for the choices I make. You know that as well, right? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Listen to what it says. And the Lord commanded the man, remember the the text that we're talking about here is the Adam and Eve story, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That That sounds pretty good, right? Out of the tree of, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. In other words, there are consequences for your choices. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you're obedient to what God says, what happens? You become blessed. If you're disobedient, if you choose your own path, what happens? There's a lack of blessing, right? So there's this idea of Jonah, you're told to go to the Ninevites, you're told to go to the Gentiles, you're told you are the mouthpiece of God. You're not in control, Jonah. You're not in control, Mike. You, you're not in control, fill your name in the blank. You are not in control. You are, you're just told as a follower of Jesus Christ who has the Holy Spirit, the same power, Brandon, the same power, that raised Jesus from the dead, lives within us? The Word says that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. It's not about us. It's all about God. And so when God tells us to go to the Ninevites, when God tells us to go to the brothers and sisters that we don't care for, when God tells us to go on mission to do certain things, and we dig our heels in the sand, or worse yet, we go the opposite direction, guess what happens? The consequences are never going to be good. You will surely... You will surely die. Well, you know that Adam and Eve didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. What do I mean by that? There's this division, there's this merging of relationship. Prior to this, God is walking in the cool of the day with mankind. God... Now, just to picture this for a second, we're in paradise, right? The paradise, the, the, the best thing you could ever imagine. You're walking daily with God. Everything is either good or very good. Everything is as it's intended to be, Genesis 1 and 2. 
It's not until chapter 3 when the man and woman eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the thing they were told not to do, that everything goes to pot, right? Everything becomes chaos. Why is that? Because they're banished from paradise. They're no longer able to walk in the cool of the day with God. Relationship is severed. That's what happens every time we make bad choices. That's what, that's what happens every time when God says do A and we do B. Or we do a version of what we think A should look like. You follow what I'm saying? We don't get to choose. We don't get to define. We, we, we just simply do what God calls us to do. You will surely die, Jonah. You will surely die when you choose your own way. And God provided the consequence, the consequence being a great fish that swallows Jonah. And you've got three days to think about it. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you because I know you're a carnal creature. And what I do know about you is you're a stubborn carnal creature. Why do I know that about you? Because I'm a stubborn carnal creature. I don't learn things very quickly. Day one, you know, this life is not fair. That's what I'm thinking on day one. Yeah. I'm hurled into the sea. I realize I'm hurled into the sea because I am disobedient. In fact, I'm the one that told the Gentile sailors, the seamen, to throw me into the sea. As soon as I get thrown into the sea, the storm will calm. Anybody remember that last week, right? So Jonah knows, Jonah knows why he is in the predicament he's in. But day one, perhaps, he's like me, he's maybe like you, and we feel like life is just not fair. Day two, you've processed life is not fair, but you've also processed a certain amount of responsibility. You know, I've got a responsibility. And I remember the words saying, I will surely die. I will surely be severed from relation. I will no longer be able to walk in the cool of the day with God daily. It's not until day three that Jonah prays. Stubborn, hard shell, slow learner. You are Jonah. I'm Jonah. Notice what it says. Jonah prays to the Lord from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. That's great news, right? Out of the belly of Sheol, now that word Sheol is pretty interesting. The word Sheol means the pit, the place of the dead. We just read it in chapter 2 of Genesis. When you, when you do something you're not supposed to do, what happens? Somebody? You will surely die. You will surely die. You will be in a place of the dead. You will be in Sheol. You will be... Remember the narrator says, you go down, you go down, you go down, you choose your own path, you choose your own path, and the farther you go down, the farther you are away from God. You're no longer in paradise. You're no longer where you're intended to be. And Jonah finds himself in Sheol, in this 
place of the dead, this pit. And it's only then that he prays. Can I offer this to you this morning? Dead places demand prayer. What do I mean by that? Dead dead places demand prayer. You know just as well as I do, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I think you've probably got a, a little bit of this worked out. If you're still seeking, maybe this is where you're at, but you need to understand that you were a sinner. You need to understand that you're rebellious. You need to understand that you choose your way over God's way, over God's ways. We're all sinners, right? Right? We all need a Savior. And the Savior is, is Jesus. And yet, we still have this, we still have this tension. We still have this frustration. We still have this, this, this bend toward our flesh. Paul would call it the sarks in the New Testament. This, this, I, I want to, the things I want to do, anybody ever know Romans 7? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I keep on doing, oh, I wish I could get rid of all that stuff. Right? What a wretched man I am. That's what he says in Romans chapter 7. Right? Anybody experience that? Yeah, that's the way of living. That's, that's the flesh winning out, right? But that's not the end. Praise God. There is no condemnation, chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. The Savior is Jesus for those in Christ Jesus, right? The only hope that we have, as Brandon pointed out just a few minutes ago, is for those in Christ Jesus, for those who receive the free gift, free in the sense that we don't have to pay for it, that God has already done it, right? The gift of salvation only happens by Jesus Christ. And yet oftentimes, Satan, the enemy, convinces us that the place of the dead, we, we, we find shame. When's the last time that you were that small, still voice, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, you know what, you should, you're far from God, you should pray. I'm, I've dealt with this sin for a long time. I'm ashamed. The story of Jonah is that prayer, prayer should happen from a place that's severed from God. This is, this is the way back to God, right? Right? And yet the enemy tries to convince us that there's something that we're far from God, we're so far from God that God can't do anything about this. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's embarrassment. I don't want anybody else to know who I am. The enemy uses a, a lot of different tactics, a lot of different ploys to try to convince us that I don't want to be real in front of you. You probably don't want to be real in front of me, right? You remember the consequence of, of Adam and Eve where they went away and hid, and God shows up and says, where are you? He knows exactly where they're at, but the transparency has been lost. We realize we were naked. 
And so we hid. Hiding from God is not only impossible, it's pretty stupid. Dead places are a great place to pray. Because God hears from dead places. God wants to restore relationship with us. Listen, God wants to restore relationship with us. Here's the gospel. One more time. God wants to restore relationship with us. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. The Savior is Jesus. But later on in the New Testament, Jesus says this. In John chapter 10, right? I think they've got it. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. On the other hand, I, this is red letter edition, by the way, if you have red letters in your Bible, I came, Jesus came, so that you may have life and have it abundantly, or life to the full, right? Be restored. The prayer in Jonah here in chapter 2 is a prayer of restoration. Yes, he finds himself in the fish. Yes, he finds himself in a dead place. And he's there for a long time. He's there for three days, but he's smart enough to pray. The only thing that's going to get me out of this dead fish is God. You've got to put the shame aside. You've got to put the guilt aside. You've got to put all the, the worry of embarrassment, all those things that Satan tries to convince you and say, you know what, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. The only way back to peace, the only way back to restoration is, is understanding how much God loves us. Look at verse 4. I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Now listen to this. Yet I shall look upon your holy temple. This is Jonah. This is a mouthpiece of God. This is a prophet. I find myself in the fish. I realize the reason that I'm here. And then he says, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The ironic part that we talked about last week is it's not Jonah the prophet who's worshiping God. Who is it? It's the Gentile sailors ironically, that are making sacrifice to God. And his prayer here in verse 4 says, oh, I've got to refocus, I've got to recalibrate, I've got to forget who the Satan is trying to tell me who I am. I've got to remember my identity is found in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ can do these things. The greatest miracle is not that Jesus heals a lame man, the, Jesus, the, 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 the greatest miracle is not Jesus heals a blind man. The Jesus that, that raises Lazarus from the dead, that's a picture of the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is that Jesus saves you. Right? That's the greatest miracle. We have to understand that. And so Jonah remembers the goodness of God, and he says, I'm going to look upon your... I'm going to look upon your holy temple. I'm going to refocus. It's not about me. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Just get me out of this stinking fish. 
Verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I mentioned that I was reading a couple of minutes ago. I went down. I went away from God. And this land, they started, it started closing in on me. You guys, I don't know if you've ever experienced claustrophobic tendencies. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You get into these tight spaces and you're claustrophobic. This is, this is Jonah describing something that's happening spiritually for him, but he's claustrophobic, right? There's things that kind of wrap around you. Right? Weeds, it says in verse 5. Weeds were wrapped around my heads at the roots. It's, it's a picture of death, right? You're, you're choking, you're, you're struggling, there's, there's no peace at all. It says, I went down in verse 6, I went down to land whose bars closed upon me forever. And here again, here's a phrase, yet you brought up my life from the pit, from the place of the dead, from Sheol, yet, yet you. It's not something I can do, it's not something the church can do. It's not something that religion can do. It's all based upon the goodness of God. Without a gracious God, we have nothing. Without a gracious God, we have no pulse, no heartbeat, no expansion of lungs, no sun rising, no sun setting. Without a gracious God, we have nothing. And Jonah begins to understand that, right? Dead places demand prayer. Places of the dead, Sheol, the pit, it's a great time to come and fall at the feet of Jesus and recognize that God God loves you so much. No matter what the world says, no matter what your spouse says, no matter what your parents have told you, no matter what your kids have told you, God loves you so much. You're so valuable to God if we just understand that. If people in the world around us that have never experienced love unconditionally, right? We've experienced love conditionally. That's an oxymoron. There is no such thing as love conditionally. There is no such thing as I'll love you if. That's not love. Love is I love you anyway. You hear the difference? That's the kind of love. He's hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Unconditional love. They whipped him 39 times. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head. They beat him, they mocked him, they spit at him, they put a purple robe, making fun of him. They taunted him from the bottom of the cross, saying, if you're the Son of God, come down. God loved them so much that he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Dead places demand, demand prayer. Notice what it says in verse 7. He begins to understand what his rebellion, what his sin has done. Maybe we should do the same. When my life was fainting away, I remembered God. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with a voice of thanksgiving, but with a voice of thanksgiving, verse 9, but with a voice of thanksgiving will I sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs, everybody say salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Not going to Hillcrest Christian Church 
or whatever church you belong to, salvation belongs to the Lord. Not taking communion every Sunday, although that's important, salvation belongs to the Lord. Not putting a certain amount of money in the offering plate, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all by the grace of God. Now we have a responsibility after that, right? Ask Jonah. But salvation belongs to the Lord. And when you understand that, when you finally get over yourself, would, you, would somebody do me a favor? This, this is going to be an experiment, right? Somebody do me a favor, because we're going to be done here in just about five minutes, Marianne. Three minutes, maybe. When we get done, when I say amen, we sing our song, and everybody starts scurrying out wherever you happen to go. Christian, you guys know Christian. Caitlin's sitting right next to him. They're both my kids. Here's the experiment. What I want you to do is find one of those two, Christian or Caitlin. doesn't matter how embarrassed they are, how much they don't want to talk to you. That, that has no bearing on this experiment. I want you to find Christian or Caitlin, and I want you to ask them, how many times has Dad said, you are not the center of the universe? And then just wait for their, wait for the answer. Does that make sense? Is that easy? Okay. And I'd be interested to hear what they have to say, because maybe I haven't said it enough. Here's the point. I still haven't learned that. It's easy for me to preach it. It's easy for me to teach it. But it's difficult for me to look in the mirror and say, you are not the center of the universe. You know why I know that? Because I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. The only hope that I have is Jesus Christ. And it's not until we understand that church, it's not until we I'm not saying we completely understand it until we get to heaven, but we began to understand it by the grace of God. We began to understand it as Jonah begins to understand it. He hasn't got it figured out yet. You'll figure it out here in a few, few weeks. But as he begins to understand that he's not the center of the universe, it's then and only then God spoke to the fish. And the fish vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Second, ch second chance. Third chance. Fifth chance. Tenth chance. You get the idea? A gracious God, a gracious God, a gracious God. And he's not interested in you staying in the belly of a fish. He's not interested in you staying in the place of the dead. He wants peace for you instead of chaos. He wants restoration for us. He wants us to, yes, be obedient. 
my prayer this past week as I've been studying this text has been that if there's someone here today that has never experienced, I mean, we talk about it all the time, love God, love God, love God. Well, you really can't love God. You can't love your brother. You can't love by going if you've never been loved. You understand what I'm saying? And the world is oftentimes a place where you don't get a lot of love. But I'm going to tell you, God loves like no other. Perfect love. The text says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his brothers sisters. Have you experienced that love? I'm not talking about I'm not talking about saying a few words, walking down an aisle, getting in the baptistry. That's all important. Have you received that love? Only you know if you've received that or not. If you haven't, my prayer is that you'll receive, receive, receive what the Word says. You'll understand you're not the center of the universe. You'll understand that that good definitions don't come by way of the world. Good definitions come by the way of the Word. You hear the difference? This is not about a church thing. This is not about a religion thing. This is about a God thing. We're all Jonah. But think about the grace that's provided over and over and over again because Jonah's smart enough to pray from a place of the dead and God answers. Maybe it's your turn to pray from a place of the dead and let God answer. So let's pray.